You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today as a guest speaker, we have Gabriel Paunesco, who is currently the CEO at Logic. Gabriel has started seven companies in three different countries. So today we'll talk about immigrant founders once again, and specifically, how do you create a startup when you just move into a new city or even to a new country? So Gabriel, I'll ask you off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Neologic. Hi, Constantine. Uh, thank you for having me. So seven companies sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of failure. <laughs> there's a lot of failure in that. Um, so. <laughs> I pretty much, I started my first company at 18. Uh, I built a game hosting system and um, I don't know, I just always had a had a thing for computers. Um, I didn't go to college because it just seemed too boring for me at that time. Um, so I just went from technical challenge to technical challenge. Um, and I started, uh, the first company was alone. So I was a solo founder. So that was pretty hard, but uh, at the end of the day, I built the entire system, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, back then, there was quite a few years ago, um, there was no real angel or VC, like even even Y Combinator has, hadn't started yet. So there wasn't a tech scene. You just borrow money, buy what you need, make your servers, and if you couldn't do that, you were kind of stuck. So you had to go go and just get a job and do what everybody else is doing. So I kind of had like this rebel side and I didn't want to do none of that. Um, <laughs> and funny, funny story, actually, uh, that company, I was pretty successful. Uh, we got in the first year, year and a half, I think we had almost 200 customers. So that was a lot for game hosting. That was, that was nice. a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, the thing is the whole, uh, the whole company ended because of a truck. There's a truck who passed by my street, uh, and it actually uh, it actually cut the fiber optic wire because the whole data center was in my basement. Um, and then the, by the time I got back online and I talked to the service provider and they fixed the cable, it was like one week, one week something later. Uh, by the time I got back, like none of the customers wanted to to even hear about us. So that's that was pretty much the the reason uh, for the failure there. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty painful. Um, and then, um, then I then uh, I moved. I'm originally from Romania, and after that, I moved to Paris, uh, where I actually co-founded an e-commerce, uh, medical e-commerce, which did pretty well. And that's the that was the first time that I've really seen fundraising and like real investment at at the early stage. And it was pretty odd because our first investor, who actually brought the other investors, he became the lead. Um, he was chasing us. Like we, we, we. My partner just bought a small e-commerce that was failing. It was like five thousand dollars or something like that, uh, just to have a domain name and something up and running. Um, and then um, this investor started chasing us basically, and he wanted to give us money, and we were like wait, but we, we haven't even figured out what we're doing yet. I mean, it's an e-commerce, it's something, but there's still a lot of things to do. So eventually we took the money and that worked out, that actually worked out pretty well. Um, in total, over the next five years, 
um, there were raised over 2 million euros there in multiple rounds and there was no VC actually. So in that 2 million euros, there was just a lot of small investors, former executives, companies that we were working with. Uh, we managed to get other founders on board that had uh, different types that provided different type of medical services. So it was kind of like a bigger angel network that we pulled off um, because the VC scene in Paris was almost zero. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't know any of them, and I don't think there were any of them. Um, yeah. So I went on and I, I exited that company uh, because. It was getting bigger, but it was also getting more boring. So it was a lot of, um, there was a lot of paperwork, a lot of bureaucracy that you had to do. Um, so it wasn't that, it wasn't that interesting to me anymore. Um, and that's where uh, I started a company in Silicon Valley for the first time. It was 20, end of 2014. Um, I co-founded an IoT company with somebody I met online of all places. Um, and we, we started, a we started an IOT company and we were pretty lucky because he had, uh, exits. He was from there originally. Um, he had exits in his previous company. He worked with big funds like Sequoia and others in his previous companies. So it was that whole network thing going on, uh, there, um, right off the bat. So that was pretty lucky. And that's, that's how I first started seeing and understanding is like, ah, okay, so this is how it happens. This is, you know, like, um, these are the terms that you get and this is how you talk to people and all that stuff. So with that company, it ended up being a bunch of angel investment, uh, which was pretty easy. Um, and later on, it was a bit of VC um, as well. And throughout that, that learning experience was the fact that even if you are known for something that you did a couple of years ago, um, that doesn't mean you're going to be successful again. So that was very weird to see from the inside, having all the connections, but still not taking it all the way. See, so that was to me that was that was a that was a bit fascinating, and that was um, the exact opposite of what I thought. And what I hear a lot of founders thinking is like, oh, I don't have the network. I can't make it, you know, like I can't make it in the U.S. without the network and all that stuff. No, you can make it pretty well uh, even without the network. Um, if you build a cool product and you know, you know what you're doing and you do it better than others, you have a very high chance of doing that. Um, and after that, I went on to build a small company called Satoshi, where... Um, it was pretty cool. You could buy Bitcoin with a credit card uh, in the US, but we got, it was very expensive to keep the lights on due to legal. Uh, and uh, eventually we had to close because uh, Bitcoin had the down year. What was it like two, three years ago? Um, Bitcoin had a down year and it was very hard to fight that. It was very hard to find extra investment. Um, we had three, three, four hundred thousand, I think, dollars investment. Um, and it was very hard to find the, the extra money. And it was very expensive with the legals and stuff. Bitcoin is still really complicated to process any sort of payments or like keep um, keep um, the, keep your keep the Bitcoin of your customer in custody and all that stuff. Um, so that led me to what I always wanted to do for the past few years. I kept thinking about it, uh, which is now Logic, which is a low code tool for 
B2B companies. So B2B companies can make small apps to collaborate with vendors, with um, with uh, work with with their workforce, with employees, without needing a developer. So it's an app store. It's basically like our own app store where you pick a bunch of apps and you launch your uh, you launch your own instance, and that's it. It's your data. It's your source code. It's your everything. God, the journey is pretty fun. I mean, getting your startup destroyed by a truck, literally, that, that's just epic. I love it. Uh, but first question that I want to start here off is the university. You mentioned that you didn't go to the university, and I wanted to really pull up on you on this. Uh, if you could go back in time to that time when you were like, you know, considering going to university or not, uh, would you change your decision now? So would you rather go to university or do you think you made the right choice there? So actually, this is a bit, this is going to sound weird, but my dream was to be a teacher. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur or, or, or start a business or whatever. I just wanted to be a teacher. Um, and honestly, no, like there wasn't any point in my career. In the meantime, I didn't go through the whole thing. In the meantime, I was a contractor. A bunch of times I was out of money. So I was a contractor. I'm a, I'm a coder. That's what I do. Um, but never in employment, collaboration, whether as a co-founder or working for others, I've never had an issue saying, uh, oh, we cannot do this because you don't have a university degree. Like that never happened. Um, I never tried to work, obviously, if I would have tried to work for Google or Facebook or whoever, um, probably it would be a problem because they have their own set of rules. Uh, but otherwise, no. And I work with pretty big companies. Uh, I did a bunch of consulting projects in the UK. Um, I never had any issue. And um, sometimes, like so sometimes, I feel that I can learn things a lot faster because I'm not tired. <laughs> because I didn't get tired in the university. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you just learn way too many things, which don't don't serve you a lot and i think the the biggest downside is not the amount of information the biggest downside you don't learn how to learn you know you just uh you just try to be the best hard drive that you can where now the world is all about search you don't you don't you no longer need to like remember absolutely everything that's very good point and i think that they should actually create classes that teach you how to google stuff because that's exactly. so important uh, and being able to formulate your thoughts into like super short sentences that's uh, cool, but we're not going to get there. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. uh, let's move on to the major topic of today's discussion, you know, starting a new company in a completely new place. Yeah. Um, based on those, you know, seven startups that you've created, what's your major takeaway from those seven? So whenever you go to a new place, you have to build your own network if you have somebody fine if you don't have you just got to do it um there's a lot of there were a lot of events before covid and i met a lot of people but uh, you have to understand that um 99 of the time um is gonna be wasted so building a network is very time intensive um and also you cannot you cannot just select people by how useful they are to you because, first of all, that's visible. Secondly, you're an asshole if you do that. So it's kind of a mix. 
it's kind of a mixed thing uh, between trying to create meaningful connections um, and actually actually building a network. Why, why I was lucky is because I'm, I'm a, by nature, I'm an introvert. So I don't have a lot of patience in social situations. So I just leave very fast or drink. And uh, but when I do when I do connect with somebody, we 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 stay connected for years, even if we don't if we no longer live in the in the same place, and uh, even if we're not hanging out like every week, we still kind of we still kind of remain connected. And there's a lot of people that I can lean on for help. Um, and that's like that's the biggest takeaway. Just create meaningful connections and don't be one of those serial networkers that has like a ton of business cards and send them out to everybody. And if you're a special note, special note for Silicon Valley, forget about events. Like the most boring and useless waste of time was attending events that were on Meetup all across the Bay Area. 90% of the people, they're there to sell you something that you never asked for and or pitch you a weird ass idea which they haven't even formulated correctly in their own head so that was a waste of time everywhere else uh, Paris, london and across the us yeah it's it's pretty interesting you meet some pretty cool people that's perfect that's perfect just like great advice and it's so <laughs> relatable i mean <laughs> you know, it happens when you go to those events and people just literally push their phone into your face yeah or exactly. literally put their cards into your pocket i'm like wait what the hell is going on i never asked for your card yeah. Uh, but yeah good great advice great advice uh i mean i think that if you're you know an early entrepreneur there is always a better way than just actually no there is not always a better way than just meetup groups so if you're just starting your way start with the meetup it's fine you know yep. you'll meet a lot of boring stuff a lot of weirdos but you know, it's first of all it's fun at the end yep. You have those funny stories, but you might run into someone who, who's useful. Yeah, at at one, um, I have a I have a definition. I call it look for the people who are lost. Like if you look around, I was looking around the room, mm -hmm. and I was searching for people like me, where if you look closely at their face, they're just wondering what the hell did I do wrong to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the people that you want to talk to because with through some weird ass coincidence, they're there. Just like you are through some weird ass coincidence, because for example, I never had business cards. I don't make business cards, but I think they're stupid. Like if you, if if we're gonna connect, we can connect without business cards. Right, right. That's a very good point. Actually, I was literally following the same exact strategy. I was looking for people who are just standing there, not talking to anyone, and feeling yeah. awkward. Like, hey, man, <laughs> lady, what's up? <laughs> uh. Uh, but yeah, let's move on and talk about the major topic of the whole in, uh, of the whole yeah. podcast, which is fundraising. So looking back at your fundraising processes across all those yeah. different companies, what's your major takeaway from that? What's what do you think was your major mistake, and what do you think was your major you know accomplishment there? Well, to to sum it up, uh, in the world of uh, in the words of some somebody I like very much, with Carlos from Diaspora Ventures, it's team, team, tam. <laughs> so that's pretty much that pretty much sums up the whole investment scene. Um, it's all about the team. And most founders they go with look what we did, look what we did technically, 
um, and without a business model or with a business model that takes way too much money to build up the talent needed to execute or um, or something that I that really annoys me is without the homework. So there's as a founder, before you even go out and fundraise, there's a lot of things that you can do for free. You can study your competition very closely. You can put up you can put up some fake landing pages and pretend to be a customer to them so you get their proposals and you see what they do. There's a lot of things that you can do and cost you zero money. You can call people for God's sake. Nobody calls people anymore. And uh, the thing is, when you when you when you when I used to speak to founders, we were always talk to investors in the early days. We were always talking about the product. This is the product that we want to build, and then it's going to have this, and then it's going to have that. And you just kind of end up in this feature diarrhea of like, okay, the next feature is going to be the one that gets us all the customer, and then the next one, and then the next one. When when you never looked closely at your business model and you've seen that your expenses are way too high to ever make any sort of money ever. Um, and also something stupid that I did is take money. <laughs> That's just as stupid as, as not having a business model. It's money is the fastest gateway for you to do stupid things a lot faster. So, uh, the, what I mean by that is you have not thought it, through or discussed it with other founders or try to see what's on the market. Um, you did not do enough research when it comes to customers and like talk to enough customers. So there's many, many things that you should do before taking money. And you, if you haven't done them, don't take money. Just go work a side job, whatever. You code six, seven hours in the evenings. You get half a weekend free. One day is enough. You don't, you don't have to take the whole weekend. And you don't need money in those cases, right? And um, also um, something that, that was a mistake in the past is not being brutally honest with the members of the team. So I've had cases where I had teammates which I knew they were weak. Um, I, I didn't know before we became teammates. I kind of saw it along the way, but I didn't address it fast enough and I didn't address it hard enough because in in the back of my mind I was like okay they noticed and they're going to change they're going to struggle they're going to change but when you're building a startup there's no real time to learn like you got to learn as you sell and you got to sell as you learn there's no real time for you to go back to the drawing board and learn business or mm -hmm. give yourself half an MBA <laughs> Just for the sake of doing, there's no, there's, there's not enough time for that. Uh, so brutal honesty is is needed um, uh, early on. That's perfect, and I love the term feature diarrhea. I love it. I'm probably gonna call the whole episode that. Uh, <laughs> but here, I actually want to follow up really on that. You know, addressing the weak teammates because I've seen that personally. You know, that happened to me yeah. in the past, and. I failed as well as a leader, and I was curious, what's, what would you recommend? So let's say uh, let's say I'm on your team, right, and you see that I'm performing really poorly, I just lack some knowledge in some field, or you know, I'm just performing poorly for some reason. What yeah. would you do? So I would put a table together with the skills we need and the skills we have. And next to each table, I would rate it from zero to five, and 
the end result by getting those together. Let's say we need programming, we need marketing, we need SEO, we need investor reach out, we need public speaking because obviously you're the CEO, you need to do some public speaking. We need pitching, so you got to practice a little bit your pitching, and we just grade that from zero to five. Now, there's a trick about it. At the end, you get a, a, a the strength of the team, but there's a trick. If there's a zero, everything goes to zero because skills multiply. They don't add. So if something is a zero, then we got a big issue. So we got to shuffle up the team. We got to find a new team member, or you got to prove within reasonable time span, two, three, four weeks, that you can read and learn the shit out of that topic and get better at it. But like in a really short time, maybe it's doable, maybe it's not. Maybe it was just, I don't know, uh, I've seen a lot of people freeze up when they need to pitch. Maybe it's just some emotional blocker that you can get through if you practice enough. Or it's marketing and it's something more difficult that you can't really comprehend and it doesn't really fit with your personality. And then we just shuffle the team. We look right and left. If we can get somebody else on the team, fine. If we can't, well, better to not waste our time. So basically, if you need, uh, let's say, uh, so basically, do you read every single team member based on those uh, four or five criteria that you mentioned? Yep. Right? And then you kind of see if you are adding up to five, right? Or do you... No, it's, it's actually zero to five on each skill. Mm -hmm. So how strong we are as a team? Marketing, right? Let's say you're the marketing guy. All right, let's yeah. look at your past activity. Let's look at results in your previous company, whatever. And let's come up with a grade. Let's say it's three, right? But at the same time, you're the CEO. So let's look at your public speaking record and let's look at your pitching record. And we see that you can't speak publicly because you turn red. And you cannot do a cold call because you kind of lost, lose your words because of emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So the moment you have a zero in the table, everything goes to zero. Because if one of those components is missing, then the startup, the chances of the startup succeeding, they go almost to zero. Got it. So to wrap it up, uh, basically, if I'm struggling with, uh, I don't know, uh, cold calls, you will try to, you know, we will try to get me on track in like within three weeks. And if I don't, I'm just going to move yeah. on right from the yeah. company. Yeah. And if you, and, and, uh, we can try to find somebody, okay, maybe we need a third co-founder, right? Mm -hmm. Let's find somebody with sales experience. Let's look around. If that happens, fine, that happens. But otherwise it's the same problem as programming. If you don't have a coder on the team and your product is very, uh, technical, Mm -hmm. Right. On the one hand, you say, yeah, but I can raise money and hire coders. Yeah. But that means that in the periods that you're going to be without money, which there's quite a few of them, nobody's coding. Right. Because nobody's paying. Therefore, nobody's coding. And that's an issue. Right. And also um, for the companies who are less technical and any sort of coding helps, that's that's fine. But if it's very technical, just like AI, I see a lot of startups with AI. We're doing this with AI, this with AI. But nobody on the team knows AI. First off, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, so it's going to cost you half a million just to get your MVP, right? Because you got to hire a data scientist who has some experience. They're not going to be some dumbass. So it's, it's, you, you, you need somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. And the second problem is how are you at managing a situation? So, for example, uh, let's say I do marketing. I'm not a marketing expert. I would give myself 
one out of five in marketing. But I know how to look at some analytics. I know how I can research the keywords. I know I can find some competitors. I know how to write a blog. I know how to do all those things. I'm not the best. And eventually, I'm going to hire somebody. But it's not stopped, right? So none of the things that need to move forward are stopped at zero because we just look at each other. Mm-hmm. We can't really do it. Got it. Nice. That's now I kind of understood that. And that's basically criteria for the co-founders only at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's experience, what they can do. And most importantly, flexibility. Mm -hmm. There's one more thing that I found with picking co-founders is people who've stayed too long in corporate, they they have a very hard time adjusting to startup life. Oh, yeah. if it's one of those, uh, if it's one of those startups where somebody famous or a repeat founder just makes an exit or just leaves the company and boom, all of a sudden they got 20 million in the bank from some fund, yeah, you can hire them because you're already pretty big. You can hire, but otherwise, it's it's really tough. It's really tough. And I've I've um, the only way that I've seen it. Um, being tested is if we start working together. Like I've did this several times where we, you know what, we're going to build a company together. We don't sign anything. We don't start a company. We don't incorporate. We don't do nothing. We start working together, right? And I mean, in one, two months, you're going to see pretty fast if like you don't have to quit your job, but you can see pretty fast if this is something that's going to go right. Or as it happened to me, a former co-founder was asking me, all right, uh, I need you to hire me three people. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, well, I need you to to get five customer conversations because you're supposed to be sales. Yeah, yeah, but I need the, this for research. I need this person for account executive. What are you talking about? What you need to do is pick up the damn phone and call call a hundred people and get five of five of them to talk to us. That's what you need to do. Uh, nice. That's that's perfect description. I absolutely love that approach. You know, starting to work together with potential co-founders just to see how they react to issues. That's awesome. Perfect. Most of the time, when you don't sign anything, they're gonna be the ones who are gonna who will want to walk away because deep down they're seeing they're falling short and they notice it's not really their thing. See? So they notice that it's a waste of time for them as well. And they kind of feel bad towards you because you're, I don't know, coding, marketing, selling, whatever it is that you do. And they're just stalling, you know, they're just Mm -hmm. cheering. That's perfect approach. Absolutely love it. And let's follow up real quick on the thing that you just mentioned, which is cold outreach, you know, cold calling, cold yeah. reach out. What's your best, uh, you know, what's your best practice that you've tried in the past that worked out? Maybe it's cold calling and uh, it's in terms of reaching out to investors. So if you don't have a yeah. good warm intro to an investor, what's your personal you know, approach to reaching out to them? I have never cold called an investor, just customers. I I, I want to try. Like I know they are, I know they're gonna be annoyed, <laughs> so I want to try. But cold emails, still cold emails, work pretty well for me. Um, but you just have to do your research, like really, really research. Look at that person, see what they've invested in, see what the fund invested in. Make sure you reference one of their investments and why look at synergies between their portfolio companies and your company because they're going to look at the same thing. So if you if you're proactive and you do it for them and say look these two companies they fit perfectly with what I want to do and this is what we want to do and we will fit perfectly in your portfolio and also just understand that from many standpoints a lot of VCs don't invest in competitors. 
So if you're a competitive mm -hmm. company, you might be wasting your time um, reaching them. Um, also, you'd be surprised at the number of really big VCs, and I mean really big, who answer their cold emails. Like I've had over 30% success rate, and that's huge for any sort nice. of thing. But it was at least one hour research per person. So even looking at their background, looking at their reading list, because there's a lot of there's a lot of information out there. Like you can find it if you look for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and also trying to reach out only to funds who have our type of investment. And right now we do enterprise investment, who do early stage enterprise investment. There's a lot of funds who say they do pre-seed, but it's a total lie. They don't. They just want to know what's on the market. Yeah, because like I talked to to uh, a few and they were saying it's like okay we do pre-seed and I asked okay why is there no pre-seed company in your cap in your portfolio well how do you know there's no pre-seed company it's like well I've seen your investments and they're all like a hundred million and above and I've seen your crunch rate <laughs> and above so by definition you don't do yeah I mean we're just waiting for the perfect founder well I mean your fund is like 15 years old like you've been waiting for a long time. <laughs> To get into this. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's yeah. a great approach. And by the way, here, I want to follow up on that as well. So how do you find those investors, you know, who fit you personally? Do you use some specific service like Crunchbase to pay that, you know, annual fee of 300 something bucks? Is it worth it? Or what, what kind of service would you recommend founders? To me, nothing. Twitter. So on Twitter, you can spark up a conversation. Actually, but you have to know how to give thoughtful answers and you have to know how to build thoughtful content, not just be a salesperson. It's like, I'm selling this, I'm selling this. You got to know how to contribute. And the Twitter community is pretty active. And in the Twitter community, there's a lot of investors who, and a lot of big founders who say, okay, post your one-liner here. This happened to me a couple of times, actually. Um, a founder said, okay, post your one-line. They were backed by Andreessen Horowitz. And they just wrote on Twitter, like, put your one-line description here. And I immediately got cold emailed me from like five investors just by, just by putting the one-liner there because nice. they have an audience, right? You don't have an audience, not yet. Let's say you have a new Twitter account, right? You follow the people that you like and some people are going to follow you back or you try to find your friends and contacts and all that. But... You find a lot of opportunities. There's there's um, there's little things called investment matching tools, which are just Zapier and some Google Sheets. Uh, I think I got like 10 investors from one of those. Um, and I did end up meeting some pretty cool funds. Also, there's a lot of investors who scour Product Hunt for products and do after they see on Product Hunt. So that happens a lot. Um, I never paid for Crunchbase. I never paid for LinkedIn. Um, Think it's a waste of time and also crunchbase if you look at the numbers and who updates it more it's later stage later stage yeah you need warm intros but if you have a company and you're making i don't know two three hundred k revenue um already right you're you're growing and you're close to seed uh you're probably going to already be in a network of founders because you might have worked together or you might have collaborated on something or went to the same meetings or stuff like that. Like you already have a founder network and the best intros are from founders. So if you want to really be successful at finding investors, find the founders that like what you do. Mm -hmm. Great, great advice. And I've been told to use Twitter so many times by so many yeah. different people. 
both yep. on the investing side and on the founder side. And I still don't use Twitter. It's just <laughs> something is there stopping me from getting that, you know, advantage. Uh, anyways, I have a person on my team on fundraising radio who does Twitter. So hopefully he catches all those opportunities. But anyways, here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Gabriel, what's the one thing you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Um, I want you to go and work on your pitch. Make sure everything has numbers in it. Make sure your business model works. And if it's impressive enough, you are going to be surprised how easy it is to get investment without having a network. Very good point. Yes. If you have metrics, it doesn't, your, your network really doesn't play any role here. So yeah. great advice. Uh, my call to action will be go to the description of this episode. I'll leave a bunch of links that Gabriel mentioned. Right. And also I'll leave a link to the form that you can fill out. It's a form if you want to get mentors, funding or something like that. And by filling it out, basically I'll take personally a look at that and decide if I can uh, forward you to one of uh, the mentors in my network or to one of the investors who might be a good fit for you. So it's completely free. It's, I'm just doing it for fun to help you out. So definitely go there, check it out and have a good day.